Hey, and welcome to another episode of Content Briefly. We're off to a pretty good start. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback on the podcast so far. And before we get into this episode, I have two quick favors to ask of you. First, if you're enjoying it, we would really appreciate a rating and or review in your podcast app of choice. That would really mean a lot. The second thing is we want your feedback, suggestions, and ideas. So please feel free to send anything you've got to podcast at superpath.co. Feel free even just to say hi, let us know what you thought of an episode, or if there's a guest you'd like to suggest, very open to all of your feedback. Today's episode is brought to you by Campfire Labs, the agency of choice for the world's best content marketing teams. Founded as a group of journalists, they approach content a little differently from other agencies, combining storytelling and interviews with editorial management and marketing best practices. Whether you're scaling an in-house content operation or could use help with a special project, Campfire Labs has you covered. From eBooks to blogs, case studies to white papers, podcasts, and more, Campfire Labs makes it easy to create original, impactful content. Their track record speaks for itself, with clients like Dropbox, Drift, Asana, Notion, Lattice, and others. And if that's not enough, they give 50%, yes, that's 5-0, half of their profits to Climate Action. You can learn more and book a discovery call at campfirelabs.co and find out how Campfire Labs can help you take your content to the next level. Hey everybody, Jimmy here from Superpath. Got another episode of Content Briefly for you. Very excited about this one. We have Cam Jenkins, content lead at Shopify, here to talk with us. So much to dive into. So many questions for you, Cam, but maybe first, could you just give an intro of yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do at Shopify. Yeah, sounds good. So I am at Shopify right now. Like you said, I'm the content marketing lead for Shopify Point of Sale. And so Shopify, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, maybe you just know Shopify as like an e-commerce platform. Shopify does quite a few other things. And so um, Shopify point of sale is its offering for in-person sellers. And I kind of head up the the content marketing efforts and the content strategy for that line of business at Shopify. And I've been there since uh, September 2020. Before that, I was in-house at a couple places, um, some B2B SaaS SEO tools. So I was at Botify and I was at Moz before that. And then professionally cut my teeth in like the digital marketing agency world. I did content and SEO for like six to seven years, I think six and a half years at, at uh, an agency. And so that's been my career trajectory so far. Cool. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Could you talk about marketing specifically for point of sale? Like what does the team look like? If you're able to share how many people are on it, just kind of give us some of like, like the layout of this part of the company. Totally. When I joined, they were kind of just starting to resource Shopify point of sale with its own marketing team. So you had your basic, and I think this is like, in my experience, this is kind of like the trifecta, right? You have your marketing director or VP or whatever, and then you have your content head, your product marketing head, and then your demand gen or revenue type head there. And that was our trifecta. We also worked closely with our design and UX counterparts as well, which kind of sit adjacent to us. But that's kind of how the team looked and each of the leads had of their own team. And so that's kind of how everything was broken up for Shopify point of sale. Like, like you said, it's all integrated, right? Like the benefit of, of Shopify and its products is that, you know, you get the point of sale. You can also sell online. Like those two things are connected. There's one back office. And so if you make a sale in store or online, like it's all integrated, it's all pulling from your same inventory. So you don't have to like keep track of everything separately and spreadsheets and all of that. So definitely there's like a symbiotic nature to like the e-commerce side of the business. So we work really closely with people who are doing the marketing for uh, the e-commerce side of the business. And it's also interesting because a brick and mortar retailer, an in-person seller, maybe they just sell at a craft fair, whatever type of in-person seller you are, 
you're probably also interested in things like how to market your business on Instagram, which is generally more of like an e-commerce type of like digital topic. And so um, we work really closely with them to make sure that we're addressing all of our audiences, even if the topic leans more into like the e-com digital side of the business. Whereas, you know, my team might be talking more about how to merchandise your store. And that's like specifically an in-person seller focused topic, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I mean, I guess it makes sense that the point is so your target customer is a little bit different than, you know, someone who's, you know, direct consumer online only or drop shipping or kind of whatever other flavor of commerce you're talking about. So there's like a whole world of content specific to them too. Does that content live in its own place? Like, is there a point of sale blog or resource center? Is it on one place? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's interesting too. Um, we do have our own blog. It's shopify.com slash retail. That is the retail in-person seller focused content hub. You know, it's one of those things where there's lots of conversations, I feel like in every company about like, you know, where does this live? And it, like, does it live on the main property or does it live in the help center? Where where should it live? A lot of our content is being, or traffic to our content, eyeballs on our content are, is being driven by search and other channels and platforms. Whereas, you know, you're not always coming to shopify.com and navigating like, oh, where do I want to go? So in our mind and what we've decided is it matters less like where it lives in the navigation or where where it lives like visibly from the homepage or something like that. And, you know, there is a specific place for it and there are pros and cons to it having its own specific property versus it being blended with other properties. But right now, yeah, it lives in its own kind of um, subfolder on slash retail. Okay, cool. That gives me like some kind of like psychological piece to think about because I'm just imagining like you have like, you know, kind of like a, probably a handful of different target personas, probably different teams creating content for each of those different cohorts. You know, just very random side note, uh, Superpath is a Shopify customer. We were trying to figure out an easy way to drop ship swag to customers. So like we send our podcast guests hoodies. I actually did that with Shopify. We're buy button customers. So I think we pay nine, maybe like nine bucks a month and then use a drop shipper to send. It's really easy because then we can just like embed it in our site. Anyways, kind of neither here nor there. But another question about the, about the slash retail blog, are there, do you have other channels or properties dedicated to retail? Like, for example, does it have its own newsletter? Does it have its own social handles? So yes. In addition to the retail blog, there's also um, brochure pages or, or more sales-focused landing pages for the point of sale. So there's specific, um, like slash point of sale, uh, slash POS rather, is where like you can go to learn about. There, there are more conversion-focused pages. It's like you, you buy the point of sale, here are the features of it those types of pages, whereas like the blog is very you know, informational, there's case studies, it's just the, not the same type of content living there. We also do have a newsletter. We have like specific lists and email drips that are associated uh, with retail that are different from, you know, the e-commerce list. And the reason I ask that question is I'm just sort of curious what your team's relationship is with sales. Like, is that something that, like, is there an open line of communication to some sales folks where you're sort of collecting feedback? Um, kind of hearing what people are saying on calls that you can then kind of funnel back into content you create for those people? When it comes to our sales team, we absolutely have a sales team. People are selling the point of sale. Um, that being because we have a very wide range of people using the point of sale and our, our target customer for the point of sale. And so you think of one end of the spectrum being like, hey, I sell some like maybe once a month at a craft fair you're still an in-person seller and you can benefit from Shopify point of sale. It's an app. You can do that on your phone. But we also have, you know, multi-location brick and established brick and mortar businesses 
using the point of sale as well. And so for people like that, they are the ones that are most likely going to be going through a sales cycle, talking to sales, talking to people can who are, are more holding their hand through the process, making sure it's right for their business. Whereas a casual in-person seller might just convert on the free trial, install it, install the app themselves and just kind of play around with it that way. And they don't need they don't need to go through sales. So yes, we have two kind of options depending on the the type of person and, and what their specific needs are. Regardless, my team is very synced up with sales because whether we are talking to a smaller retailer or a larger retailer, that a lot of the needs are the same and a lot of the pain points are the same. And so we really like listening to sales calls and prospect calls on Gong. So we'll listen to those recordings. We actually had a really cool meeting, um, like a monthly meeting where each of us would listen to a different retail focused sales call. And we would kind of like take notes on what we learned and share it back. We have like a little share back session uh, for the team. And we also like brought in people from retail sales to kind of give us trainings every once in a while as well, just to make sure that we knew like common DQ reasons, like, hey, we want to make sure that we're not, you know, talking about topics that, you know, you know, are like a, a DQ reason for for people that are coming in through your pipeline. So it's just really good in general, whether you are doing free trial focused marketing activities or sales assisted focused marketing activities, it's still all relevant information that helps inform our strategy. For sure. Yeah, that's great. I mean, my personal experience is probably not true across the board, but the larger the company is, the harder it is to have a direct line of communication to your target customer. Like if you're a three-person startup, you might talk to customers every single day, right? I don't know. Shopify, I assume, has thousands of employees. It's probably just like a little more difficult. So then sales becomes like the, the key to unlocking all that knowledge. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's really nice when you're in an org that uses something like Gong, because then you don't even have to like, hey, sales, can I like piggyback on this call? Or can I, can you introduce, introduce me to this person you're talking to or whatever? Like you can just listen to their call recordings and they're all tagged where like, oh, this one mentions point of sale. Like let's listen to this call. It's really easy to kind of self-serve, learn that information. When the org is so big, like you said, sometimes it is harder to kind of get access directly to the customer or even access directly to sale, your sales team or customer success team. Um, so Gong has been really helpful for that. That's awesome. I feel like every now and then a category of tooling comes along like Gong and Chorus and there's a few others who just, it just like unlocks this thing that previously was not impossible, but extremely difficult. There's another tool I just came across recently called Dovetail that, uh, kind of does the same thing for a different problem. It's like a place where you can dump text, podcasts, YouTube videos, just like where you can collect a bunch of content, uh, even like style guidelines and whatever, and it creates a searchable database for your writer. So they, if they need a quote, they need a data point, they can go in, in there and get like pre-approved stuff that they can then kind of repurpose and remix for other content. So I love that. There's, um, let's, can we talk about your team specifically? Like what does the content team look like? How many people are there? sort of curious to understand like also what their roles are like you know for example do you have writers you know on the team who create content uh do you work with freelancers or other vendors to get that type of stuff done yeah so the team the way i kind of structured the team was around like crafts within content and so uh for example we had an seo focused content marketer a product focused content marketer someone who did campaigns so that this person was kind of their bread and butter was like gated content and doing that like really well in the drip campaigns that followed that for a while we had a partnerships focused content marketer when partnerships like Shopify has like a large partnerships ecosystem and that's like 
a pretty like interesting area to like either do co-marketing or talk with our partners about like how do we get more people using our partners and how do we educate our partners about Shopify point of sale like there's just a lot of cool opportunity there so kind of as goals came up we decided like hey we need a person like we need a person who we can put as a resource on this so the first goal when i joined shopify um was like hey we need to build awareness and we're also like losing a lot of visibility there was a lot of legacy content that we were dealing with and so they wanted someone to come on and kind of like help bolster the steady stream of traffic and so coming on and starting with like the SEO focused content just to get that like engine running to patch the leaky bucket, you know, with all the decay we were seeing on the site. And so that's kind of where we started. And then the next kind of hill to climb was like, okay, we have, we're like starting to grow in our traffic, but where are we funneling this stuff? Like we need someone who like deeply knows the product and can kind of take on case studies because those are so different than the SEO led content. We need someone who can kind of you know do feature explainers and even like this person that we ended up hiring um, also created like a CTA library for us so we were able to really easily no matter who you are on the team like maybe you're the SEO focused content marketer and you don't have as much product knowledge you can pull from this library and say like oh this Shopify feature plugs perfectly into this topic that that I'm creating content again so you don't even have to be an expert you can just pull from this library, like plug and play type of thing. So yes, and like I said, campaigns person. And we were also one of the last components was as Shopify point of sale was being released into new markets uh, internationally. We were working with someone in EMEA who could kind of take our North America strategies that were working and like adapt them, apply them toward um, some key markets in EMEA. So uh, we were building the craft specific playbook for content and then kind of hiring people to go and take that to new markets as we expanded to new markets. So that's kind of how the team was structured. And I think it worked really well for for a lot of reasons. But yeah, each person was kind of like the CEO of their own stream. And so I set like the vision and strategy, the overarching goal. But in terms of like the actually like what's published and how it gets published, uh, like each person who was a stream owner was responsible for deciding how that looked. And so what ended up happening was the more top of funnel SEO led stuff. They tended to rely a little bit more on freelancers because that's easier to outsource. And we also needed a higher volume there than our product focus, like things that are toward the bottom of the funnel um, and required more, you know, product Shopify knowledge or a strong POV that tended to sit more within our team. But yes, we did use freelancers, but to like a varying degree, depending on what type of content we were we were doing. Got it. Okay, got it. That makes sense. This sort of reminded me a little bit of uh, I spent a year working at QuickBooks and we ran into what sounds like kind of similar problems where like QuickBooks, very, you know, very large company inside of Intuit. Then they have a, a number of products. Like there's the accounting software everybody knows, but there's also payroll and invoices and a few other things, which then like they have their own marketing teams. Like they're, at least in our case, we had a central content team that kind of served all of those. But then the global expansion was really, wow, there's so much there because like in some cases, you you really had to have like dedicated people on the ground because some of the products are kind of completely different based on like local regulations or whatever. So then there's like some amount of stuff that could be translated from the flagship blog, but then some stuff really can't. And it's just like sort of like constant back and forth about like, how do we keep all this working? So I sort of lay it out there for you as like a question of like how much, I'm just sort of curious, like if you're able to share, like how much of your time do you spend thinking about that kind of stuff? Like that's like fairly high level strategy work that is not like 
how many organic visitors did we get this month and how do we get more next month kind of thing? Totally. Yeah, it's actually a pretty big component of my job because, I mean, there you have people at like the top of the business, like I'm sure it was at QuickBook, who, who are deciding like, hey, we need to be visible in these markets. But then it's up to you as like the content lead to translate that into like, well, how do we support that and how can what we're doing ladder up to that? So I kind of have to be the connector of like, okay, content and these goals and like how, like what's the delta there? How do we, how do we get there and support that? And so, yeah, I spend quite a bit of time on that, but yeah, it was a similar thing with, you know, expansion into Armia. There are the reason that it wasn't just instant that, oh, Shopify point of sale is available everywhere that Shopify is. Well, it can't exactly be that way because there are like payments regulations and things like that in different, in different markets. But yeah, it's really, really interesting having to pay attention to that stuff in, in specific markets. Yeah, really cool. I, you know, I'll just sort of highlight like this sort of portion of the conversation is something that as businesses grow and become large, like Shopify has, it's just absolutely necessary for the company to figure it out, right? And a lot of people end up getting involved in it. And like, just in case anyone out there is thinking like, well, that's not content marketing. It actually is just at a different scale, right? And so I think it's, I actually think it's kind of cool because these are like core business problems that have trickled down to content, which you then get to participate in helping solve for the company. So throwing that out there just is like a, it's a potential, something to think about as, as content folks think about their career paths, I think. It doesn't have to just be like page views and newsletter subscribers forever and ever. Like there's there's other stuff out there. A hundred percent. I think that's a really great point. And it, it's so important to be keyed into that stuff. Like it, you can't create content without knowing those things. I mean, I remember, you know, when I've, I've joined various companies and I start poking around, I'm like, okay, like well, I can't make a strategy until I know like our ideal customer profile and I need to know like what our goals are, like what's the total addressable market, what markets are we in, what are we not in, why, all of those questions that I need answers to before I can make a content strategy. And I've gotten the response sometimes like, why do you need to know this? And I'm like, well, how else can we create content if we don't know what we can and can't say and to to which people, who are we talking to and how does our product serve them? Like if you're expecting content to market a product and to make the business money, you need to know those things or else it's just a media site. And it, like we're, we're not selling ad space on our site. We're not an affiliate site. Like we are here to sell a product. So I need to know how to sell that product and to who. So those like key business questions like are so integrated into, into content strategy. Really cool. I just have so many other things I want to ask you about. There's, I do want to ask you about metrics and reporting. Are there, are you mandated, uh, to grow a certain set of metrics or are there, you know, a handful of them that you really care about? How do, I'm so curious how that works. And then in terms of reporting, same same goes for your team. Like, are the individuals responsible for specific numbers and how do they kind of communicate that to you and how do you communicate that up to, you know, whoever you report to? Yes. So our main metrics at like a high level probably look pretty similar to the other content marketing team's metrics. I mean, we look a lot at sessions and we try to, you know, split that out by channel um, just to see, you know, what's coming from where and judge each channel, you know, by the metrics that make the most sense for that channel. So we look at traffic and we look at conversions as well. So for the point of sale, it's, you know, we are mostly trying with a blog, at least driving free trials. And so we want to look at free trial conversions from the blog, um, both first touch and last touch. We Yes, I think it's very important to judge each kind of channel and content format about what it's trying to do and what it has most control over. Like if you are only reporting on 
rankings and organic traffic, then you're going to kind of disappoint and take the wind out of the sails of your like product focused content marketer. If you have someone like that, someone who's doing case studies, for example, case studies aren't trying to rank for a specific keyword. So it's not what they're there to do. So I think it's really important to just pick the metrics that closest match the type of content that that you're producing. And so for case studies, one of the things we look at is like free trials generated from those case study pages, because those are like heavy hitters for conversions. And so that's one example of how we would look at that differently from like SEO led content, where we're looking more at like the rank position and organic traffic. Can you pull all those metrics yourself? Or do you have a data person or is there a data team that you could go to if you needed someone else to come in and, and help with that? Yes. So we at Shopify do have a data analytics team and who is responsible for kind of like their band governance over our Google Analytics instance. We also have our own data warehouse where we can pull things and look at things. It's more of a proprietary source of data. Got it. Okay, cool. That's interesting. Remember when I got to QuickBooks, they didn't have Google Analytics because they had a data team and they had much more sophisticated tools to do this type of stuff with. But I was frustrated because I didn't know how to use them. And I wanted Google Analytics because I wanted to at least be able to like on a daily basis check in what's going on and like yeah we still use like the data warehouse for like the for like the the real stuff but uh, it took me like three months to advocate for that even though it didn't cost anything you know it's just like it just took a while for for me to like kind of whine about it long enough that that people listen to me <laughs> super interesting though yeah, the, the data stuff is interesting because I think like companies of all different types of sizes, I feel like a lot of times we'll have a data team, but the data team is more kind of resourced toward like product focused data, at least in my experience, like they're looking, you know, they might be able to give you some time, but most of their time is going to be dedicated toward like the product focused metrics, like the in product metrics, and they're great at that. But then yeah, a lot of times like they by nature of their jobs, aren't they aren't thinking from like a marketer's brain and standpoint. And so you'll ask them a question like, hey, can you build me a report like this? And it's just not clicking with them because they're used to like reporting on a whole different set of problems and, and questions. And so I think having someone who's specifically like a marketing analyst is is really helpful. But yeah, at the very least, having access to the data yourself so you can kind of self-serve is really nice because I don't know, I, I know some content marketers who are, they're just interested as like like their hobby. They like SQL and they like doing that sort of thing. But I don't think it's fair to put that on like a content marketer's jobs to be done. Like you, you shouldn't have to learn how to be a data scientist to do content marketing. You should know how to partner with data and know the right questions to ask. And, and that kind of thing like helps you pull the right reports and stuff. But I don't think it's really fair to have them have to have that skill. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. I'm curious to talk a little bit more about your team and how you run it. You mentioned a monthly sync with sales. What other standing meetings are on the calendar? Do you do one-on-ones with each person in the team? Do you have like a weekly meeting where you all get together? We're kind of asking everybody this just to get a sense of like how do marketing teams, like how do you how does it run? You know, like what's the cadence of communication? Are there different types of meetings on the calendar? like structured updates versus like creative brainstorming or, you know, kind of like whatever other things you all need to get together and talk about. Yeah, I think it's really important to have those regular check-ins and meetings um, personally. And so it's really important, I think, for team culture and not just in a like, hey, do we all feel good with each other sense, but it also just like creates a, a good, like efficient working relationship. So it does help on the personal level to have those types of meetings, which is great, but it also helps us just like work better and smarter when we're 
when we're talking to each other. So that's my view personally, how that translated into our team is that on Mondays, for example, there's like a little Slack automation that's like, hey, everyone, quick bullet list of like what you're working on this week, just to give everyone like a bird's eye view of what everyone's working on. Sometimes the team would also do like an in-person standup if there was more to talk about. But I think a Slack standup is totally fine for that kind of thing because it's just like, here's what I'm doing, like FYI to everyone. I do one-on-ones weekly with each of my direct reports and we kind of just like, it's their time. They can surface things to me. Like if I have stuff to tell them, like, of course, but I really view that as their time to kind of bring things to me to like troubleshoot or kind of like brainstorm on or get my advice or opinion on or whatever. And so that's kind of how I view those. I do those weekly, like unless something big comes up, then I try to always keep those on the calendar. Yeah, usually removing them only if like my direct reports are just swamped because then that's not fair. It's for them, you know, it's only if they need it. We also do a rotating like weekly meeting. So we meeting each week, but about something different. So I think I mentioned like the gong call type of meeting that we had. That's like one week. And then the next week might be like our peer led. We do something like a peer led content training. So maybe someone will sign up and say like, hey, I want to lead this week's meeting. I have a cool like thing that I do in Ahrefs and I want to teach everyone how to how to do that. And so we we do that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really cool. And then we have like a more of a content brainstorm planning meeting where we're like, hey, like, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, and Z next month. Like, does that line up with what you want to do? Like, how can we work together on this content? So it's half like calendar building and half just like tossing ideas around and getting people's feedback type of meeting. So we kind of do that on a rotating basis. So we're always meeting, but the shape of the meeting is a little bit different each week. I love that idea. That's great. Are there any tools that you all use to communicate as a team that you find to be particularly helpful? I mean, Slack, I'm sure, but then like, you know, I don't know, content calendar or, you know, a project management tool to keep track of campaigns or, you know, just sort of curious to get a sense of like, what is like, you know, Shopify is like the real deal. Like, what do you all use? Is it the same stuff that the rest of us use? <laughs> yeah, I think so, honestly. Like, um, and we've gone through a few different, you know, tooling thing when it comes to project management and um, any any type of tooling, really. Like, sometimes we'll just be like, hey, as a company, we've decided to sunset these things and we're going to move on to these tools and so i think it's important like for anyone really but especially i think the bigger the company gets not to get too precious about like the actual tool you use and just more willing to be like okay here's like the systems and the framework that i use and i can apply those whatever tool is is the preference so you know we've used everything from like Airtable, which is a like a personal favorite of mine for project management to asana which we have used i think most of the time i've been at shopify to G tables, to all types of different things. But yes, like no matter what type of project management software we use, like we make sure we're using one that everyone has the, the same view of what everyone else is doing. We are really good about using like comments and tagging so that everyone kind of like is seeing each other's work. We also have always used like one shared calendar, you know, even though each person is kind of like the, the CEO of their own stream, right? They have their own kind of calendar that they're working on. It's one calendar and everyone has like a subsection of that. So everyone has visibility into what the other person is doing because it's one one surface that we're publishing on and one, you know, marketing effort that we're driving toward. But each person kind of owns their piece of it. So that's kind of how how that works. And yes, we use Slack absolutely for for chatting and things like that. And then, yeah, like we like, hey, let's hop on a quick call or, you know, we'll do voice recordings or video recordings, too, and post those in Slack sometimes, too, just to keep things you know, as async as possible when that's like the best course of action. Yeah, makes sense. I love that. Do you know how much content you produce? Like I'm imagining it's probably quite a bit. 
you know, I, I think companies probably hit a point where, you know, they're like, we're going to write one article per week, you know, and then they're like, as they get bigger, they're going to do two articles per week. But then you sort of get into a position like uh, the point of sale team is now where it's not just that everything's going into one place. Like it's going to different places. It has different purposes. Maybe you don't really think about cadence in the way that an earlier stage content lead would think about it. Yeah, definitely. Cadence is honestly lower on my list of things that that I personally care about. One, because there was already quite a bit of content. And two, because I know I knew, especially in the beginning, but you know, like this persisted throughout the whole time. Like I know people aren't sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for Shopify to produce a new piece of content. Like they're gonna discover it through their own channels on their own time. And so for me, cadence matters less, especially like the more content that we that we developed and put out there. But in terms of how much we were publishing, I want to say like each week was a little bit different. And and that's why I liked not being totally married to Cadence because there are some weeks where it's like, hey, we ran into like a, a few bottlenecks and a few like red tapey things and we just couldn't get this over the finish line. Well, I'm not going to require someone to publish that just so we can hit our like Cadence numbers or whatever. I want to make sure that it's done right. And so I'd rather like that takes precedence over everything else. But it usually netted out to where we were publishing like at least two, sometimes three posts per week. And yeah, that differed depending on the stream. So like the product focused content tended to take a lot longer, especially case studies where you're getting like the merchant approval because like they are the one being interviewed and quotes in there and it's their business being represented. So there's a layer of like back and forth for that. Campaigns, again, another thing that uh, takes a little bit longer to produce and are harder to hold to a specific cadence because you have more stakeholders like more more people involved and they're higher like just in terms of hours to produce like they they just take longer to produce that type of content so cadence was something i never like held us to a specific number on but that tended to be like where things fell and a lot of times it was like the bread and butter was that seo focused content coming out most consistently and then to varying degrees the more product focused or campaign type of stuff. Got it. How do you think about editing and quality control and brand guidelines? Because I'm assuming some of that stuff is, maybe some of it is specific to your team, but but some of it also is probably universal because it's not just your team that's publishing stuff. 100%. Yeah, Shopify has centralized um, voice and tone and brand guidelines that oh, we that's amazing. all use no matter, yeah, no matter what uh, content team you're talking about or what you know line of business you're talking about at Shopify. So that was cool. We, um, on my team personally, we used a mix of two editors and they were both actually freelance editors. The one editor we used is more grammar, syntax, tone. He had edited Shopify content for quite a while and not just like point of sale content. And so he was very familiar with things like our voice and tone and all of those types of guidelines. And you know, he just worked really well with us. And so that's who we used for that type of content. When the content was, I, I would say like there's a certain type of content where my team just kind of got to a point where we knew like this, you're talking about more specific and in-depth topics that we really need to make sure that we aren't turning off like our expert level audience. Like we need to make sure we get this right. We don't just sound like we read the top 10 links on Google and spun this content up. Like we want to sound like you know, we're coming from a place of expertise because we really, we really care about that. So we also hired a freelance uh, subject matter expert editor. So um, we sourced, yeah, it was really cool. We sourced him from, he was an editor and a writer at one point, I think, for some retail trade publications. And so he's coming from that space where he knows that audience deeply. 
that's like what he's used to. And so he was editing from the perspective of like, would this land with our target audience? And he also was good at editing, you know, just the basic stuff, like the grammar, the syntax, like does this make sense? Are there errors? Are there typos? Like that kind of stuff. But he was kind of our go-to for like, this needs to be review. (laughs) So that was kind of how we were, yeah, reviewing that type of content. Love that idea. I've never, I've, I've never heard of that. I love that. I'm flagging that in the podcast. Like that's just an amazing idea because yeah, it's just, it's so, I think it's just, it's become so easy for content marketers to uh, sort of become great practitioners of content marketing and sort of in, in doing that kind of lose sight of like, who's this for? Like, do I really, do I really know who this is for? That's, um, that's amazing. I want to be respectful of your time. Just one one more question for you. Are are you thinking about AI? I mean, obviously like it's kind of on everybody's radar right now. Like, have you found practical use cases for it yet? Are you kind of still like thinking through like, where does this fit into our team's work, if at all? Yeah. So the way I've seen AI applied most directly, I, I will caveat this with like, I have not personally been using it in my work stream. That's not to say like, it's not because I have any like strong opinions. I'm like, no, I'll never use it. Or yes, I absolutely want to use it. I just haven't yet. I've been on Matt Lee for a long time. I missed the whole chat GPT like explosion when it first came out. Not that it's like gone or anything, but I know I'm like, I just, you know what? I dodged a bullet. I feel like on that one. No, but it's important for, I think, content marketers to like be aware of this stuff. And like, it's, it's in the market. It's a reality. Your execs are probably going to start asking about it, uh, your POV on it if they haven't already. And so, but yeah, one of the applications I've seen it being used for is FAQ schema, you know, ranking and the SERPs with like the little, you know, FAQ expanded uh, things. And that type of content tends to be like, what is this? This is what it is. And just like short, like just definitional stuff. And so I've seen it used in that application. And I'm like fairly agnostic about that. I think generally like that's kind of what people were doing anyway, just without robots. Like, you know, you look at the top ranking things, you're like, how can I write a better version of this? You're just kind of automating that process. So I don't know, there's that. But also I think my POV on AI content in general, it's like, use it, don't use it. Whatever you do, I think like it is going to become more and more important. Like I think we're at an inflection point here where it's going to become like way more important really quickly to have unique proprietary information in your content. Things like, you know, original, like, hey, this is my experience. Like really like no one, like AI can't go out and have their own lived experiences. Like it's only stuff that you can write about or proprietary data, things like that, I think are going to become really important. I keep relating this back to, this was not that long ago, but the latest like skies falling moment at like a couple months ago was how Google kind of came out and said like, hey, we're losing, search is losing market share to TikTok because people trust TikTok more and there's like real people behind it, whereas people don't think Google search results are trustworthy. They're like, oh, all robot generated, blah, blah, blah. You know, with AI content, how much more so is that going to become true? So if you are creating content, like long form search content, I think it's very, very important to address that trustworthiness with unique PRV, unique original research, like things like that, whether you're using AI content or not, I think creating that either alongside or injecting that into your content is going to be really important for that trustworthiness. Yeah. Love it. Kim, this has been extremely informative, really like just rich. There's just so much here and I really appreciate you taking time to kind of unpack some of this stuff because, you know, I, I imagine that there's a lot of folks working at smaller startups who aspire to this one day, you know, like they aspire that the company will be as successful as Shopify and that they will have some of the problems that you have today, you know? So really appreciate it. 
we'll obviously send people to the retail blog. Can we send them anywhere else? Is there any other Shopify properties we should send them to? And and you too, Twitter, LinkedIn, personal site, or anything else? Yeah, um, Twitter. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, not as much as I used to be, but I'm on, I'm still on Twitter and LinkedIn. So if you, I don't know if you have like show notes or whatever, you can like definitely link my Twitter and LinkedIn for that kind of stuff. The retail blog is our main property. So I would say, yes, like if you want to see my team's work and some examples of what I was talking about and how that kind of like look in real life, yeah, visit the retail blog. I think that's the best way to see my team's work. Okay, we will do. Awesome. Cam Jenkins, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you.